Welcome to Beefmaster Banner. We are your hosts, Josh Morrison and Jared Strickland. What's going on, Jared? Uh, getting ready to bat down the hatches for a little winter weather, but I don't think we're going to have as much as a lot of people north and west of us are having. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, Kevin started here, so um, I feel sure a lot of people's probably Kevin right now. So that's uh, just another hurdle to get over this time of year. Yeah, the January calves have had it pretty tough this year. Yes, yes. Before we get into our show tonight, I do want to uh, mention some sponsors, some show sponsors, uh, Lissy's Beef Masters, uh, to be the first one. We want to thank them for sponsoring the show tonight's show. Uh, be sure to look out for their all access online sale, March 15th and 16th. Uh, most everybody probably listens to this knows that they put on a, an online sale every year, um, selling frozen genetics. And this year they've actually got a group of live cattle, um, that they're going to do um also so look out for that thank you uh for sponsoring the show um and we want to thank um southeastern beefmaster breeder association for sponsoring tonight's show also uh they have the convention and sale august the jared is it the 26th i guess the 26th this year 26th this year so be sure to to come out and support that sale and uh if you if you want to be a show sponsor and be mentioned and be mentioned on facebook please by all means reach out to us um on our beefmaster banner facebook page um but getting into the show tonight uh we have troy rowan of university of tennessee how you doing troy i'm good guys thanks for having me on tonight thanks for coming on um so you're new to me um we just met probably five minutes ago so um how about we go in and uh just you just tell us about yourself yeah, so I'm uh, I'm currently on the the faculty at the University of Tennessee and and serve as a state extension specialist um, for the state of Tennessee. My my bread and butter is is beef cattle genetics and genomics. Um, I do about seventy percent of my job is is research. The other thirty percent is extension. Um, so I, I really am am trying to stand at the intersection of all the the new stuff that's happening in the genetic world and in translating things out to. Um, to real practical solutions for for producers. So um, I, I grew up in Southwest Iowa. Um, I'm a Charlet guy by um, by birth, I guess, um, and did all my graduate work at the University of Missouri and, and steadily moving my way southwards um, and, and really, really liking winter weather um, here in the South. Guarantee it. I, I, I can imagine that there's a big difference there. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> well, I guess kind of getting started since you are the genetics guy. Could you, well, you know, our listeners are from, uh, you know, could be from just now getting started to very seasoned, but uh, we kind of want to talk a little bit about EPDs. That's usually a hot topic, uh, but kind of not kind of go into the basics of them and, and maybe get into some depth before we're done. But I guess, could you give us an explanation of what are EPDs and, and how we would try to use those? Yeah, so so EPDs. Um, I, I think a lot of the confusion comes from an acronym right off the bat, right? We we scientists love to put acronyms on things, um, and, and EPDs are no different. But but what they stand for is an expected progeny difference. And I, I think when we sort of take a step back and break down each of the um, the three words that make up EPD, it's a little bit more straightforward, right? So really, at the core, they're just a, a statistical estimate of an animal's genetic merit. And, and the real challenge in, in breeding cattle or any species is that we, we don't have a, uh, or I guess we, we can't ever directly measure the, the true genetics that an animal has that it can pass on to its offspring. 
So we're sort of left to, to figure out and, and make some statistical guesses, um, statistical best guesses with all the information that we can, can gather on an animal um, to figure out what the, the actual genetics that that animal might pass on to offspring is. And so the, the expected part of, of EPDs are, uh, that's a, a projection into the future. That's sort of how, that's statistician talk for um, a future average. Um, the progeny is obviously the calves that an animal will have. And the, the difference piece is, is that we're always using these measures to compare between two animals within the, the same population um, or an, an animal to the rest of the population. So uh, I guess taking a, a step back, right, this isn't saying anything about an individual animal's performance or the exact performance of an animal's calf, right? This is on average, if we saw, you know, hundreds of progeny, um, out of out of a couple of bulls, this is really just telling us the difference that we'd expect to see between the averages of of those two groups of of calves that a bull would have. So uh, again, our our best statistical guess at at what genetics an animal has that it can pass on to its offspring. All right, I think it's. And, uh, I was kind of thinking with that too. I remember maybe it was a talk you did or somebody talked about one time that. Uh, Kind of if you put the two bulls together and say if you're looking at weaning weight, if one has 30 and the other one has 28, the one that has 30, you should expect two pounds average on average on a calf crop, you know, which wouldn't be a big exactly. difference, you know. Yeah, so that's that's the important thing, right? Is that if we if we just looked at one bull with a weaning weight EPD of, of 28, we can't really say anything about um, about that bull, right? That 28 number isn't useful unless we're comparing the, um, the two bulls that we're trying to, to make a selection decision between, right? So it's important that the EPDs, you're either comparing, you know, two candidates that you're trying to select between, or you can, you can compare animals to, to say a breed average and see kind of where they, they sit compared to the rest of the, um, the beef master breed. And I think sometimes, you know, and, and I've been at fault until I've learned more about EPDs, exactly what they are and, and more of how to use them. You know, a lot of people may mistake, you see top one percentile, you know, that's not saying you're going to get the extreme of every, of everything, every time. I think right. that's important to mention. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's an important thing too. Whenever I, I put this up, I know that, that podcasts aren't a, a, a visual medium necessarily, but I always put those kind of two overlapping bell curves. I think that's the most useful way to think about what those actual phenotypes um, or performance of those calves will look like. Um, just because one bull has a, a three pound heavier weaning weight EPD than another bull doesn't mean that every single calf is going to be exactly three pounds heavier, right? It's all about the the averages of those future calf crops. And, and I think you make an important point about percentile ranks because I, I think that's a, a super useful way to make this EPD comparison a little bit more straightforward and, and understanding where that animal sits compared to the rest of the population, right? So, uh, you know, a top five percentile bull means that there's only five percent of the animals in the beef master breed that are better than that bull for a particular EPD. So I think those percentile rankings give us a little bit more context about where a bull maybe sits compared to the rest of the population. Sure. Yeah. Hawk that compare you know you're talking about comparison and percentile. Also, you know this is maybe a little bit of a tangent, but like contemporary groups too, if you're comparing within a set, you know, how how uh how important is that? Dr. Owen, you know, uh, when you're looking at a ratio like that. 
Yeah, I think your point there, Jared, is 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 something that I, I should have mentioned as I was talking about what EPDs do, right? So we'll take sort of a, a step back. I think it's helpful to to think about an animal an animal's performance, their their phenotype that we measure at the end of the day, whether that's a weaning weight, whether that's a ribeye area, whether that's a, you know how long a cow stays in a herd. That phenotype is a function of the animal's genotype, so the genetics of of your cow herd, right? The genetics that they inherited in the environment in which they're raised, right? So you can think for weaning weight, um, there are lots of different ways you can get to a high weaning weight, right? It can be because you're absolutely genetically superior. It can be because you're you're getting creek feed poured to you, right? And, and so what EPDs are really focused on doing is trying to take our selection decision and instead of looking at that phenotype, right? So the, you know, you can have a 650 pound weaning weight, but if you were fed, you know, creek feed for, you know, the last three months, right? That's a, a different story than if you have a 625 pound weaning weight and you've never seen creek feed before, right? So a, a lot of what we're trying to do with an EPD is pull out that, that variation that comes from an animal's environment and focus our selection decision just on uh, the genetic potential that that animal has to, to pass down to its offspring. And so, Jared, you mentioned a contemporary group. That's the the statistical way that we control for an animal's environment. We can, we have all these animals that are raised, you know, in the same herd, the same year, the same season, right? So um, in West Tennessee, this, this past year, y'all had a really terrible drought, right? That's something that, that universally affected Jared's cow herd. Um, and, and that's going to be a, a universal thing that, um, that, that affects that calf crop, right? And so when you talk about a, a weaning weight ratio, that allows us to, to figure out where the animals within that contemporary group, they're subject to all of Jared's management, all of the environmental stressors, um, whether that's grazing hot fescue, whether that's a, a drought, whether that's some sort of freaking nature thing that happens, right? All those cattle are subjected to that. We can control for that with a contemporary group and try and focus the, the rest of our attention just on the genetic component of, of the trait that that animal will pass down to its offspring. That sort of makes sense. It sure. does. It does. And it I feel much. like it's, I feel like it's important to, to note too. This is why we, we kind of preach on this podcast and, and you hear other folks preach, put all of your data in because bad, good me, you know, middle ground, it's all going to make, it's all going to make a difference to your EPDs and make them more accurate. Right. Right. No. I, and I think that's the biggest thing. Um, if you're a seed stock producer, um, recording traits, right. Going out and collecting those phenotypes is, I know it takes time, but the impact that that has on the quality of the EPD that comes out the other side is, is really, really huge. And, and Josh, you said, um, reporting all of the data. And that's, that's exactly when we think about these contemporary groups, if we're holding back data from a contemporary group. Um, so say there's a, a couple of straggler calves that we, we know we're not going to register. We really don't want to report them, right? We know those weaning weights are a little bit lower. What that actually does when you, you yank those calves out of the contemporary group is it makes your very best animals, the animals that, you know, um, would, uh, would be the, have the best genetics, right? it makes them look less good compared to the rest of the contemporary group when we're, we're taking those calves off the bottom end. So, um, and, and then we'll, we'll talk a little bit more here in a second, I'm sure about specific traits where that unbiased reporting is really important. So things like, you know, stability and, and some of the more fertility phenotypes, um, you've got to have all of the information reported in order to, to collect those, those phenotypes in a, in a reliable manner. Uh, before, 
before we move on, I really like your explanation there. And, you know, you mentioned several times talking about genetics and you're talking about cattle passing those traits on, which then you, I mean, you get your EPD that way also. So what are, I've been meaning to ask you this because I, I hear lots of different things. Uh, what are the more highly heritable traits versus the ones that are lower heredit, heritable? Some folks might want to want to know that. Yeah, that's a that's another really important piece of all this, and and why EPDs are are especially useful for some traits. And and so when we talk about the heritability of traits, this is basically how much does the genetics of an animal that they inherit control that in phenotype, right? So for for certain traits that that genetic component is it is a whole lot higher than others. Um, we can think about things like carcass traits. These are generally pretty highly heritable. So um, if you you made a sire and a dam together that have you know high marbling um, potential, right? It's very very likely that that calf that they have is is going to be high marbling, right? Stature is another one. Whether we're thinking about cattle or humans or dogs, this is. 75% of this trait is, is due to genetics, right? So we put two big statured animals on each other and, and we're likely going to have a calf that um, there's pretty big, right? The environmental component of that trait is, um, is pretty small. Uh, the flip side of that is, is that a lot of these traits that we're realizing are really, really economically important, uh, particularly that have to do with, um, with cow efficiency and longevity. So fertility, health, um, these are very lowly heritable traits. So, um, you know, the environment plays a big piece in, in whether or not a heifer gets pregnant. Um, the first time that she's, she's service dried or that a cow stays in the herd um, up to a, a particular profitable age that we, we sort of um, draw that line in the sand, right? But um, these are lowly heritable traits. So there's um, the genetics play a, a pretty small part in these, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 10% maybe. And, and what that means is that it's, it's a little bit harder to make genetic progress if we're just selecting on, on an animal's phenotype for those lowly heritable traits, right? Because so much of the, the end phenotype is due to environment. And this is where, where EPDs are really, really useful is for traits that are lowly heritable, um, being able to see that, that genetic component expressed in, in an offspring and and select that way is, is much more difficult than if we can have a measure that's really just focused on the genetic component of a trait. We get all that 90% maybe that's due to environment, allows us to focus that selection, even though it's slowly heritable, just on that, that small genetic component and, and make genetic progress a whole lot faster than if we were relying on, on selecting for those actual phenotypes. And uh, I, I guess while I'm, while I'm sort of riffing on this, the, the other useful thing is that when we're selecting bulls and we know that cow longevity is really important, if we were going to go off of uh, make bull selection decisions off of observing those phenotypes in his daughters, um, that ship has sailed by the time we're able to actually see if these cows are long-lived, right? So an EPD allows us to, to make these predictions um, for a bull who will never express a, a cow longevity phenotype, but we can still understand what his genetics are um, that, that might express themselves in his, his female offspring. So um, lots of different interconnected reasons why I, I think EPDs are really useful for a number of reasons there. They can be really helpful for, for the future um, of, of your cow herd. Um, you know, it, it, to me, it's, and, and it's a tool in the toolbox, right? So you've got 
a plethora of tools to use, but if you can understand EPDs and what they do for you and how they work in your herd, you can really build your herd for, you know, long period of time. Right. No, I, I always talk about EPDs as, as kind of having two functions. One is, is mitigating risk, right? So in the, in the seed stock business, we're, we're really trying to churn out the future genetics that'll go out and impact the, the beef industry, right? So our interest is, is in making constant genetic progress, right? And, and genetic progress is better when we choose the right bull more often. That's sort of how, how I always frame this. And, and again, like you said, EPDs are a tool, but what they allow us to do is make that right decision more often, right? So we can, we can mitigate the risk that we, we choose a bull that we think has this genetic potential, um, but, but he's something completely different once we start seeing calves. EPDs allow us to, to make that correct decision more often um, and, and reduce a little bit of the risk and, and in turn accelerate the, the genetic progress that we're able to, to make in our herds. I like that explanation for sure. Uh, <clears throat> I look at it and might play, maybe play devil's advocate. You know, in the purebred business, we're always trying to make genetic progress. So like sometimes we may be rolling females over quicker, you know, and obviously in the beef master world, maternal traits is kind of what we hang our hat on. Yep. Uh, you know, without using the EPDs, you know, for like stability and things like that, I just see it as a, diff a difficult thing to to increase that stability because, like you said, the bull's gone uh, years after you see how long females last, you know, and right. I, I just, you know, that's something that it's hard for me to wrap my mind around when you think about, you know, a cow been in a herd 10 years is what you consider really good. Well, shoot, 10 years is a long time. <laughs> right. And that right. bull has been gone probably five or six years, you know, and uh, it's kind of, kind of interesting because it takes so long to get that EPD to be accurate. You know, all of the data is very important, you know? So I guess my request to the breeders that's listening to this is try to be as accurate with your data as possible because it takes years to get it. Well, and just like, you know, Clark Jones said, I believe he said it in the podcast about a year ago. It's not as, as, and I agree with it, as purebred seed stock breeders, it's not our job to chase extremes, but to cut the bottom end every time and get better. Yep. Yeah, no, I think that, that cattle breeding is a, it's a, it's a long-term game, right? It's, it's not something that we can turn over multiple generations. We're not chickens. We're not pigs. Um, particularly beef cattle, right? We're, you know, the generation interval is a, is five years, right? In a, in the beef cattle business. So if we can, knowing that it takes that long for generations to turn over, um, making the wrong decision takes a long time to correct too, right? So if we get down the, um, down the road and we've got huge problems with cow longevity, um, it maybe has taken us five years to figure that out. It might take us another 10 to get it corrected, right? With a couple generations of selection, so again, these these tools allow us to, like Clark said, cut that cut that bottom third off and ensure that we're we're always making genetic progress. Um, they're not perfect, right? If they were if they were perfect, I wouldn't have a job, um, and and we wouldn't need to be talking about EPDs on the podcast, right? But yeah. but they're the the best tools that use all of the information that we have, um, and again, they allow us to make that right decision more often than not. 
Well, and the more we learn about them as breeders, you know, that it's, it's the utmost importance that as breeders, we learn all we can about it because that's in turn just going to make the EPDs more accurate going forward. Uh, right, right. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's an important piece, right? Is that, um, the seed stock industry drives all this. What what actually happens out in the the end product that's getting made, um, the beef that's going on on counters, right? That is um, that's driven by decisions that seed stock producers make. And and yeah, the the better understanding that that, that y'all have of of VPDs, the more trust you put in those, um, that trickles down to your um, to your customers and eventually to the to the consumer in that end product. So. Um, EPDs are, are useful tools all the, all the way down to, to that stake that, that hits a plate eventually. Yeah. yeah. I know here in the last couple of minutes, we've kind of discussed accuracy in the EPDs and I think it's maybe a good segue to talk about, uh, DNA. It's kind of a, a thing that I, I kind of think is a good thing we need to be doing and the enhanced genomic EPDs, uh, our state, obviously with our Ag Enhancement Program thinks highly of it because you, you get more money back uh, on a bull that's got in, genomic enhanced EPDs. Uh, could you give us a little talk about uh, DNA and, and how that helps us increase the accuracy of those uh, EPDs and, you know, specifically like markers and things like that? Yeah, that's a that's a good question, Jared. And, and before I even talk about um, genomics, I'll, I'll say really quick a bit about accuracy. So, um, I, I said from the from the jump that EPDs are our best statistical guess, right? That sounds like a, a statistician covering his his bases, right? But we use all the information that we can. Um, the information that flows into an EPD um, is, you know, that contemporary group. So we pull the the genetics component or the environmental component out, so we can just look at genetics. And then the the rest of what an EPD does is it tries to figure out sort of whether or not an animal got good DNA or, or bad DNA from its parents, right? So I always talk about this in terms of, of siblings, right? I've got a little brother. Um, we each got 50% of DNA from mom, 50% of DNA from dad, but the 50% that we got is different, right? So there's all these, these differences between siblings and in a really related population like cattle, um, there's lots of, of, I guess, shared DNA between individuals. They're very similar. So we're trying to tease apart whether or not an animal got the better genetics or, or the less good genetics um, with the rest of the information that goes into an EPD. And so those other pieces of, of information that make us more confident of that, that, that statistical guess that we're making is, you know, an animal's own performance record. Um, that'll result in, in an increase in accuracy, makes us more confident that that EPD is is representative of the animal's actual genetics that, that they can pass on to offspring. And the other piece is, is progeny records, right? So in the seed stock business, these very proven sires, maybe they're getting used um, in a big way in our artificial insemination program. They've got hundreds of progeny records. That makes us much more confident in, in that EPD, right? It's it, Those accuracy numbers go up, and that's a, a direct sort of measure of how confident we are that that EPD is representative of the, the genetics that animal can, can pass on to his offspring. So the, the, the genomics piece of this comes in and the, the deal, I guess, is that if you're selling bulls to commercial producers, right, the likelihood that those EPDs will ever see an increase in accuracy through progeny reports is, is basically zero, right? Your commercial customers aren't reporting numbers back to a breed association to increase those accuracies, right? 
So the, the thing that we figured out that we can do is we can use these, these genomic tests, these DNA markers to actually figure out which chunks of DNA an animal inherits from its parents. And when we do that, that allows us to, to make a more accurate statistical guess even before we've, that bull has, has ever put a, a progeny on the ground, right? And that's a, a really, really important piece for us because we're selling these bulls with no information aside from, from maybe their parents' average EPDs um, to a commercial producer. But the, the genomic test allows us to, to increase that accuracy and reduce that, the, the risk, I guess, associated uh, for the commercial customer who's buying a bull uh, who's never had a, had a calf before. So, um, uh, again, the, the DNA markers, they're, they're worth, in a lot of cases, um, about a calf crop's worth of information and accuracy. So somewhere between 20 or 30 calf records um, to get the same amount of accuracy that you get from a genomic test. So really, really valuable in for, you know, 30 or 40 bucks. Um, that's a, a lot of peace of mind that you can you can transfer over to your um, to your producers that you're, you're selling bulls to. Oh, yeah, I definitely agree. And, and I think it brings a lot of value, like you said, to the the U.S. the producer and also brings a lot of value to your customer, which may in return increase dollar value. So you bet. definitely encourage breeders out there listening to start DNA. And then we may. If you don't know how to do it or whatever, we may have an episode about that coming up on techniques and who to get with and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. We can do that. Who to send it to and then that kind of thing. Um, sort of wrapping up, we're getting sort of low on time, but wrapping up the night, Troy, I always like to put people on the spot just a little bit. Uh, just a uh, thank you for coming on kind of deal. <laughs> but um we ask everybody and it seems we get different answers every time. What is one piece of advice you would give to a new breeder? Yeah, I think for, for, for a new breeder, whether or not you're a, a seed stock producer or a commercial producer, um, whether you've got a hundred cattle or a thousand cattle and you've been doing it for decades, um, utilize your state's extension service. Um, I'm not just saying this because because Jared and I are on here um, employed by UT Extension, um, but I, I I really do think that there are a ton of great resources that get put out there um, by your land grant universities um, across the country. Right, there's a land grant in every state, um, and every one of those has an extension arm, and and that that's sort of your um, the the newest hottest research that's going on to the very most basic things. Um, there's there's all sorts of stuff there from an extension point of view. And, and there's there's hardworking agents like Jared that uh, that are out there in your home counties, and your home regions. It's it's their sole job to to make you you know more profitable, more successful. So so always utilize those resources. Reach out to, to specialists like myself um, in Tennessee, whether you're in Tennessee, Texas, wherever um, there's folks that are focused on reproduction, nutrition, genetics, animal health. Right. There's there's somebody who can answer the, the toughest question. Um, or they know they know where to look, right? I don't I don't know the answer to about eighty five percent of the questions that come across my desk, um, but I'm a I'm a really good Googler too. So um, <laughs> utilize the the extension service as a um, as a resource because we're um, we are taxpayer funded to um, to help make operations more successful and profitable. So um, give your extension service ring. That's my my plug um, advertisement and advice. I got it all. In <laughs> you got it all. You got it all covered. But yeah, I mean, it's it's important to note that, and, and I forget at times that they're there. You know, being in North Carolina, you know, they've got one here, and 
it's it's there for us to use. I mean, it's, it's that's what it's right. there for. They're a tool, just like these EPDs, just like um, carcass traits, just everything is is a tool. And this is just another tool for someone to stick in their toolbox and say, oh, you know, I can give someone a ring and and get an answer right. of some sort when I don't know. In the the flip side of that too, I, I said seventy percent of my my job is research too. So um, I think there's lots of folks out there that are committed to doing really applied research that, that impacts the beef industry. So if you're, if you're seeing something on the ground, right, I'm not, I'm not a seed stock producer. Um, but if you see something that, uh, you know, day in and day out is a, is a problem or something that needs a solution. Um, again, talk to your extension service, talk to, to folks at the university. Um, Cause we're here to, to serve the producers of our, our States in the country. So, um, if there's something we can help out with, don't hesitate to reach out and and we'll do our best to to figure out a, a science-based solution for it. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Kind of kind of add to that, you know, you know, we get to see producers in our local area and help them come up with solutions that that we can share with with other producers, you know, that are right. newer or whatever and and it like I said that home uh extension that's working in your area is going to see a lot more issues that you're going to encounter than somebody that may be out of state on the higher level like you know like we're talking about genetics you know that kind of is a broad term uh anybody can help with that but just having that local uh guy with eyes on the ground and seeing what's going on in the area can definitely definitely help you so definitely i agree I'll, with you dr rowan to definitely reach out to them and, and they'll help you Absolutely. And I mean, you know, it's, it's intimidating. When we first started, you know, we've been in the seed stock business for, uh, for going on five years and it is a very intimidating thing when you come in and realize what, what all pieces, you know, you think you've got it figured out on the commercial side, but then when you come in on the purebred side, there is so much information and so much stuff that I had no idea. Jared and I became friends and, and I, I call him daily sometimes. Um, hey, what's this? You know, or what do I need to do here? And uh, so I'm I'm utilizing the the state of Tennessee uh, a lot. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we'll send we'll send the bill over the over the mountains to you. Yeah, there you go. There you go. But no, it's it's an intimidating thing, and, and it's just a way to keep keep folks maybe from feeling quite as overwhelmed, knowing that they've got someone there to to help them. Right. Well, we sure appreciate you taking the time to come on, uh, Troy, and and enjoy the conversation. I'm sure. Uh, all the listeners will, will definitely uh, enjoy it as well. And we hope maybe have you on again sometime and we'll get into, we'll get into the, the thicket of it sometime. Yeah, I know you're, there we go. No, that, that sounds good. You're a really busy guy and, and it's much appreciated that you took time out of your busy schedule to, to come on with us and, and talk EPDs. You bet. Always, always happy to guys. And I don't know when, when the episode goes up, but if you see me in, in New Orleans and NCBA, holler at me. Sounds great. Y'all have a great night, and uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, guys. See you. Well, we want to thank everybody for listening to the Beefmaster Banner Podcast. Uh, Please know that we are on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and we are on YouTube. Just search Beefmaster Banner. Please like, share, comment, and subscribe. We love hearing from you, um, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.